Well, last Sunday, as we set out together on the next stage of the great adventure that, that the Sovereign Lord has for us here in this place, Gareth preached on new beginnings. And we saw there from Joshua chapter 1 that as God brought His people to a place of new beginnings, as He led them forward into the promised land, He, he reminded them of a few vital truths. He reminded His people of His presence with them. He, he reminded them of His Word to them. And ultimately, He reminded them of His grace towards them. That grace which had set them free from captivity in Egypt and sustained them in the wilderness. That grace by which He would lead them into the promised land and shape them into the people that He would have them to be. And so as we launch out into our new season with new beginnings, as we move forward together under God into our promised land, I believe that He wants to remind us of these same wonderful truths, to remind us of His presence with us, of His Word to us, and ultimately of His grace towards us. So over these next few weeks, as we gather together in God's presence in worship, Gareth and I will be preaching through a little series on grace. And you can see from our little preaching schedule, it's available in the vestibule, you can see that today we'll be looking at saved by grace, and then looking at sustained by grace, shaped by grace, and finally sharing grace. I love that hymn that we just sang, Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was a man who obviously was in the grip of grace. That, that, that one sentence in the middle there that he talks about Christ so free, so infinite, His grace. And then Wesley hangs around that, all the cost to Christ and all the benefits to us. Wonderful words, wonderful truth. And Wesley got his inspiration, I'm sure, from many places in, in, in the Scriptures, but one of the places that we want to go today for our inspiration and to hear of God's grace is to the book of Ephesians. And we're reading there from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. You may want to bring these words up on your phone, your app, your whatever, but they're in the uh, church Bibles there as well on page 1174. And we'll work our way through these wonderful verses together. If you would have them open in front of you, that would be very helpful as we do that. So Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Paul writes this to the church. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. 
Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? This, this popular, I, I know we can ask that question in all sorts of ways. Who do you think you are? You know, but who do you think you are? It's a, one way we can use this expression is that, that it's a, a BBC, a popular BBC series. It's been running for the past number of years now, and they reckon there's about six million viewers tune in each week. It's on Wednesday evenings, nine o'clock. And some of you will be familiar with it. Many of you, perhaps, will be familiar with who do you think you are. In that program, various celebrities trace their family tree to find out who they really are. And as they gather the information, some of these celebrities, well, they, they get a rather nasty surprise, some of them, as they discover that maybe someone in their family has been a, a, a right rogue or a serial killer or, or something like that, you know. And others get a lovely, pleasant surprise. They have an ancestor who was a member of the royal family or, or who was a, some hero for some great cause or, or other. But the aim of the program is to gather in all the information that they can that relates to them and find out not so much who they think they are, but who they actually are. And as we move into our new season together at Orangeville, I thought that it might just be a good idea to ask ourselves this morning, who do we think we are? And then from this passage in Ephesians to to answer that question, to find out not so much who we think we are, but who we actually are. Not so much who we think we are, but who God says we are. Because that is what the Apostle Paul was really getting at here in this, in this particular letter to the church. Who we are. And we get a very clear answer from these verses that we've read together. In these first ten verses of Ephesians chapter 2, God tells us who we really are. And folks, there's no really easy way into this passage though. Because as we start to gather in the information, well, just like some of those celebrities on that TV program, we start to uncover some actually pretty unpleasant truths about ourselves. And that, of course, will come as no surprise to those of us who know that we haven't got it all together. But it might be a wee bit of a shock to the system to those of us who thought, well, actually, we were pretty good spuds, really. So here are the first of the few things that, that, that Paul writes, and, and, and if you read them there, they're in verses 1 to 3. And there's some pretty strong and unpleasant stuff in there. So the first thing that we find out about ourselves is that as human beings, we are sinners. But not only sinners, dead sinners. Dead sinners. Verse 1, Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You see, without God, without His grace, we are dead in our transgressions and dead in our sins. And when Paul talks about our transgressions and our sins, he's talking about our sins of commission and our sins of omission. The things we've done, the times we've stepped over the line that we've transgressed, and the things that we've failed to do, those times we've fallen short of the mark. You see, on our own, without God and without His grace, we are both rebels and failures. In our natural state, by our transgressions, by our sins, and we are spiritually dead. Although this deadness of non-Christian people, that might raise for us a question or two, mightn't it? Because we all know people who who seem to be maybe great athletes or well-educated scholars or famous and, and rich celebrities, and they appear to be very much alive. So without the saving grace of God, are they in fact dead? Well, Paul would say, yes, yes. For it is not in the realms of physical health or knowledge or fame or wealth that will ultimately matter. 
The ultimate health check and the only one that really matters is the health of our soul. For all the physical fitness and brains and fame in the world, anyone without Christ is spiritually dead. And that means being dead in the only sphere that will ultimately really matter. Secondly, without God, we're, we're not only dead sinners, we're also enslaved sinners. Verse 2, you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. By ourselves, without God's grace, we are enslaved by the one who rules over those who are disobedient. In our natural state, we are, state we are enslaved, ruled over by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Before we came to faith, we had no regard for God. We went the way of the world. We went in a secular, godless direction, led by the pressure to conform to the world, guided by selfish goals and objectives and captive to Satan and his will and ways. It isn't sounding good, sure it isn't. Without God, we are dead and enslaved sinners, and Paul hasn't finished yet. He has one more unpleasant truth to tell us about ourselves. Thirdly, by ourselves and without God's grace and without God, we are also condemned sinners. Verse 3, Paul writes, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We, by our human sinful nature, are objects of the wrath of God. But, but folks, we must understand that God's wrath is not like ours. It's not that He has a bad temper and might at any moment fly off the handle with us. It's not spite and it's not revenge and it's not arbitrary. For it is God's reaction to one thing only. It is His reaction to evil. You see, God cannot coexist with evil and so He must either forgive it or condemn it. And I must warn you this morning that the Bible is very clear about this that if you have not yet received God's forgiveness, and if you will not receive God's forgiveness, then you will one day receive God's wrath. But God's wrath is only for those who refuse to receive His forgiveness, a forgiveness that is won for us by the death and resurrection of Christ and freely offered to all. So Paul sets out this biblical view of fallen human nature. That we are by ourselves and apart from God and His grace, we are sinners, dead, enslaved, and condemned. But after telling us this hard truth, Paul writes, but, but, and it's a big but. Verse 4, and I love it. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. We were dead and slaved and condemned. We were sinners, but by repenting of our sins and trusting in Jesus for our salvation, we are sinners saved by grace. And this, my friends, is the wonderful good news of the gospel. With God and by God, we are saved by grace. In the first three verses of this passage, Paul sets to the bad news of the reality of the fallen human condition. But, but in the following seven verses, he spells out the wonderful good news of the gospel of God's saving grace and the difference that that makes. And it's all the difference in the world. 
We rebelled against God, and because of that we died, we fell captive to Satan, and we stood justly condemned. But, and it's worth repeating, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, in some places within the church, folks are reluctant to use the word saved today. But Paul has no such hesitancy. He uses this terminology. He uses this word twice. He uses this word saved because that is what we are. By the grace of God, we are saved from death. We are saved from slavery. We are saved from condemnation. In the first three verses are about us without God and and His grace, and it's pretty ugly. But those following seven verses are about God and His grace with us, and it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. And this grace of God and gift of salvation overcomes our deadness, overcomes our enslavement, overcomes our condemnation. God's grace makes all the difference in the world. God's grace takes us from death to life, from captivity to freedom, from condemnation to pardoned. God's love changes everything, everything totally. Because of God's love for us, he sent Jesus into the world to be born as a little baby in Bethlehem, to grow up as a man, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to teach us how to live, to die on that cruel cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, to rise again so that we could have life, life in all its fullness, life eternal, and to ascend into heaven so that we one day could go there to be with him. We sang about it earlier. To be with him one day forever. In the fullness of his glory and grace. We are saved by grace. And Paul states it twice in his passage. And saved by grace means three things. As we as set out by Paul in our reading. It means number one. That we are made alive. And it was certainly God by his grace. Who made us alive. For we were dead. And what can a dead person do for themselves? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. A wounded person can perhaps help himself, but we were not wounded. We were not sick. We were not disabled. We were dead. Dead as Lazarus. Dead as the widow of Nain's son. Dead as Jairus' daughter. Dead. But praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because Jesus did not come primarily to heal the wounded or to cure the sick or to reform the reformable. No, Jesus came to raise the dead. Jesus came primarily to raise the dead and we were them. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, but praise the Lord because raising the dead is just his thing, right up his street, his very cup of tea. And let's be clear about this. It's Jesus who raises the dead. We don't contribute anything to our own resurrection. Jesus does it all. Jesus does it all. We have a defibrillator out there in the foyer of our church, folks. And just like our fire extinguishers, we hope that we never have to use it. But we have it there just in case. And a defibrillator is for using on someone whose heart has stopped beating. Someone basically who's dead. Now, many's the person has been saved by a defibrillator. 
But one thing's for sure. They didn't save themselves. They didn't save themselves. Because they were flat out on their back. They were dead. And they needed someone to come along and to rescue them and to bring them back to life. And for us, when we're spiritually dead, we can't save ourselves. We need someone to come along and rescue us and bring us to life. And that someone is Jesus. That someone is Jesus. And He brings us to life by speaking His living Word to us. And He brings us to life by breathing His living Spirit, His Holy Spirit, into us. He raises us to life. That's His thing. And only He can do it. And secondly, because of His great love for us and His his mercy towards us and His grace, not only has God raised us from the dead, He has also shown us mercy. We were guilty and deserved condemnation, but instead of that, God in His grace shows us mercy and gives us a pardon. We are pardoned. A few years ago now, I took a bunch of guys up to visit the Crumlin Road Jail. Now, you may have been in Crumlin Road Jail before. I'm not going to ask you in what capacity. Uh, you can certainly go and visit there. And uh, we went for a visit, and uh, they showed us the condemned man's cell. And the tour guide explained to us how the person convicted of a serious offense was condemned. They would be brought into that cell, and they would spend their last night there, and then that they would be brought out in the morning and hanged. And what we have here is like we were justly put in the condemned man's cell for all the sins that we've committed against God and against our neighbor. We were in the condemned man's cell. But instead of the hangman coming in in the morning and executing us, the king comes in instead and grants us a royal pardon. That's grace. That's grace. God's completely undeserved love and mercy, and that's the sort of picture that Paul paints here. By nature, objects of wrath, we stood condemned, but by God's grace, we have been pardoned. And we have not been pardoned because we were not guilty or because of anything good in us or because we somehow deserve it. We were pardoned simply because of the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. And thirdly, and finally for this morning, in His grace and mercy, God not only has taken us from death to life and from condemned to pardon, but He has also set us free, set us free from captivity. We are set free as as. Charles Wesley puts it, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what happens when we taste grace. We are set free. John's gospel tells us that we shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. And Jesus is the truth. When we put our trust in Him and invite Him to come and live inside us, He sets us free from our enslavement to the ways of the world and the flesh and the devil. And we also need to know that Jesus equips us to overcome these temptations by giving us His Holy Spirit to live inside us, by giving us His Word in the Bible to to guide us, and by by placing us in the church family for mutual fellowship and encouragement and accountability. 
And there's this wonderful eternal security in being saved by God's grace because, folks, we did nothing to save ourselves, so there is nothing we can do to unsave ourselves. We are secure in His grip of grace because He saves us, he, he seeks us by His grace and He saves us by His grace and He keeps us by His grace. God's grace now and forever. And so as sure as we were dead and slaved and condemned without God, so as surely we are pardoned and set free and saved with God and by God. And why does He save us by His grace? Well, Paul tells us here as well, Yes, of course, to demonstrate His mercy and His great love for us, but also for us to do good works that He has planned for us to bring glory to Him. Verse 9 tells us clearly that we are saved by God's grace and not by our own good works, so no one can boast. Verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We did not create ourselves, and we could not and did not save ourselves. We contributed nothing to our creation and we contributed nothing to our salvation. It was all by God and all by grace. And so it's really important to understand this sequence of events. We are sinners saved by grace to do good works. It's never any other way. Good works cannot save us. They are important, but we can't earn our salvation by our good works. They can never save us. It's always sinners save good works in response to God's great gift of grace and salvation. And so remembering this sequence, this affects everything else that we do in our lives, and we will want to live our lives that praise Him and serve Him and glorify Him in whatever we do. Nicola mentioned street reach. Hey, as part of your response to God's grace, you might want to get involved with street reach this coming week. Good works on the streets of our community around us. Just as I finish, Paul in these first 10 verses of Ephesians 2 describes our fallen human condition. He describes God's gracious character, and then he paints and points out the good news of the gospel. So here this morning, who do we think we are? Well, more importantly, who does God say we are? And here it must get personal, for each of us must answer this question for ourselves. If we've not yet accepted God's gift of salvation by grace, then He warns us here again this morning of the terrible truth that we are still sinners dead, enslaved, and condemned in our transgressions. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, once again holds out to us here and now this gift of salvation, this gift of life, of pardon, of freedom. And if we haven't already done so, then we need to accept that this morning. We need to receive that gift today and be forgiven, set free, given life, pardoned. If, on the other hand, at any time in our lives we have put our trust in Jesus, if we've asked Him into our hearts, if we've accepted the gift of salvation, however way we want to put it, whatever words we've used to come into that relationship with Him, if we've done any of these things, then praise God, for we have been made alive. We have been pardoned. We have been set free forever. We are sinners saved by grace, and God has done it all. So to Him alone be all the glory, now and forever. Shall we pray for a moment? Let us pray. 
for it is by grace you have been saved. Let's just take a moment to ponder and to respond to that wonderful truth. Perhaps even to accept God's gift of salvation if we haven't yet done so. And to give thanks. Father, as we go forward together, united by your Spirit, in obedience to your Word and under your sovereign leading, please help us to remember who we are, sinners saved by grace. We thank you that this is who you say we are. We thank you that you have made it so. We thank you for your amazing grace. Grace that reaches down to save us, to take us from death to life, from condemnation to pardon, and from slavery to freedom. So help us to be ever thankful for that and to live out that grace in our lives, in our relationships, in all our works, to the praise of your glorious name. For we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.